I'll tell you something I love about being in France, in addition to some seriously delicious butter, and that is the wide selection of wines I can find in France for low prices. It can be much more difficult to source those same bottles back in the States, and that's why I love to buy wines out of France with Ideal Wine. I have bottles shipped to me, hassle-free. It's easy. Ideal Wine has a new auction every week and is a great source for iconic names like Ouette, Louis Roeder, and Domaine Lefleve, as well as rising stars like Arnaud Lachaud, Gonon, and Tissot. Find the wines you'd rather be drinking at idealwine.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com and have the wine shipped to you in the States. Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. So if you're listening from the Northern Hemisphere, the hottest days of summer are upon us. And I wanted to see what people are drinking to keep cool this summer. So I hit the streets, and this is a sampling of what's hydrating the nation right now. On a hot summer day, there is nothing more refreshing than a glass of chilled rosé. Currently, my favorite is the Arno Roberts Turiga Nacional Rosé but I am, of course, open to suggestion. I love the Durian. Um, it's a white wine from Delfast Winery. Coconut water. Ice cold coconut water. I like to sample a variety of cold drinks. Last night I had an unfiltered chilled sake, and I've been drinking a lot of cold beers, IPAs and lagers and things of this nature. Some lovely, sparkling, local hard cider. Muscadet is always a winner. What are you drinking this summer on the hottest days? Lemon Time Collins. It's a, it's a version of the Tom Collins drink. Uh, it has a little thyme flavor with the lemon thyme syrup, which is a simple syrup infused with essence of lemon and uh, the herb thyme. This summer, I've been cooling off with Prosecco and Italian rosés. I'm drinking watermelon. <laughs> watermelon? Yeah. I don't know what I'm drinking on the hottest days of summer, but when I'm not out here just like in the heat, I'm drinking Gatorade and some water, but I mean, Beer is good. <laughs> I'm drinking a, pep- a Pepsi. Pepsi? Yeah. You're not a Coke person? Uh, no, I'm not a Coke person. Yeah, you is. How? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> now I was expecting a lot of fancy drinks. It's 2014 and people have so much variety. But the most popular answer was... Water. 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 Lots of water. I love a great sparkling water when I'm very thirsty on a hot summer day. I'm drinking on everything that Coke. Whatever cold, that's what I want to drink over to our phones. If you could have anything you wanted, what would it be? Cold water. Nothing like water. <laughs> Sometimes it got hot water, then it got cold water, but you just got to understand it's water. Water's water. Water's water. Ah, it just tastes so good. It's just water. It's just so refreshing. But I'm currently drinking some, some ice-cold uh, natural spring water. But I prefer, you know, Fiji or Aquafina water or my favorite beverage is Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew? Yes. You doing the 
Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, not the booty dude, but the dude. <laughs> Gatorade. Kool-Aid. Mm, I'm drinking lemonade. I'm on the porch relaxing. And, yeah, that's what I'm doing. Sweet or sour lemonade? Sweet. I'm going to always drink some Smirnoff. Yeah, I used to drink that. I had that bottle earlier today. You know, the screwdriver, you know, the, you know, the pineapple flavor. I like a nice, refreshing cerveza. Um, well, it's hard to say what I'm going to be drinking. I'm going to be drinking everything. Everything. It's called everything. It's got everything mixed up in it. It's nothing but a little bit of shot, but it gets you right where you need to be. I think that's a Long Island iced tea. But there is one guy that's drinking martinis. Oh, I'm on the beach with a dry martini. Extra rocks. Extra rocks? <laughs> yeah. What, what, gin or vodka? Gotta be gin. The gin make you sin. <laughs> That's right, folks. You heard it here first. Gin makes you sin. <laughs> Stay cool, everybody. It's not enough to make great wine. You also have to reach the consumer that appreciates that wine. And... That's where Offset is an incredible asset. Offset is an independent brand design and commerce technology company that connects with wineries on a human level to help them connect with consumers on a human level. Offset is based in wine country and staffed by creative strategists and technologists who are superb at helping create and evolve wine brands through visual identity and package design, developing the look, feel, and tone of your web content as well as building beautiful and effective websites powered by their proprietary e-commerce platform, Offset Commerce. That's why leaders like Frog Sleep, Grace Family Vineyards, and Rain Winery already rely on Offset. Reach out to the brilliant team at Offset at offsetpartners.com. That's O-F-F-S-E-T, partners with an S, dot com. Offset is focused on the wine industry and can embrace the nuanced needs of your wine brand. Clemens Bush on the show of the Clemens Bush Winery in the Mosul. Hello, sir. How are you? Yeah, fine. Thank you. Very nice to just, have you here. Just arrived. <laughs> Welcome to New York. Thank you very much. So tell me a little bit about your winery. Where are you located? We are located at the Mosul region and uh, directly in the middle part of the Mosul. It's a wonderful village named Pünderich. And we love to work in the vineyard sites of the Pünderischer Marienburg. It's a wonderful place for us because our house, uh, old house of the family, is directly at the Mosel River. And we have 80% of the vineyards in the view. And it's for us, it's a kind of lifestyle, of course. Yeah. And when did you get started with the winery? Yeah, the family makes wine uh, for a very long time. The house is built in 1663, and it's in the family uh, for the whole time. And the people has no chance to make another thing. They has to work with wine. And in the, in the, in the Middle Age, there has also a lot of uh, animals. There has, it's, it's like a farm. So it was a mixed but, farming. 
They make farming, farming, a little bit of farming, but also a little bit of wine. They have everything to live. They are happy, I think. And my father and my grandfather started to make its professional wine. And they started to make this in the 1920s, in this time. And uh, they make the wine business. And But then with the second wine war, there was a break. And my father has to start again in the 50s. And yeah, and it works good. And I started in the winery of my father in 1974. This time the winery has two hectares. Now we have 16 hectares. That's a big growth. That's, you know. Yeah, because... Um, a lot of other growers stopped working. They has no children who likes to do the work. And so it's a chance for us to get more vineyards. And uh, it's it's a good chance to get a lot of vineyards in the good vineyard sites, in the best area. Yeah, But that area is fairly contained. It's pretty much in one spot that you yeah, have the vineyards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we like to do it in this uh, on, on a very small place because this vineyard side of Marienburg is very special. We have three different kind of soil on a very small place. We have uh, some, the most important is the gray slate section. I think it's nearly 60%. Then we have in the middle of the gray slate a small part in the blue slate. We love it. It's a great, great soil. And then on the left side of the marine book, we have also the red slate section. It's the end of a red vein with, which goes through the Eiffel and comes to the Mosel at Peacepot, Peacepot a Goldtröpfchen, a little bit. Also Erdener Treppchen, Erdener Prelat. It's the most important vineyards with red slate and also Ötziger Wurzgarten, of course. And this vein with the same soil finished at the Bündnerische Marienburg in our Roten Pfad vineyard. And yeah, and we like to work the soil out in our wines. So that's unusual that one estate, one producer would have the three different kinds of slate in mm -hmm. vineyard parcels that they own. Yeah. When you taste the wines from those different parcels, what are the differences that the slate gives to the wine? The gray slate has more the elegant style. It's a softer slate. It has a very elegant style with um, yellow fruit, white peach. And the blue slate is a little bit stronger. The blue slate is the hardest slate we have. And so there is a very intense astringation in this one if the one is young. And it goes through the whole taste. And in the finish, you have a wonderful explosion of fruit. Also, yellow fruit. And if the wine will be riper from the blue slate, you have a lot of exotic fruit, tropical fruit in these wines. And then the red slate is very special. There are a lot of herbs in the taste. It's um, more structure, more complexity. And a lot of people told me sometimes it's not the typical 
style of Mosul wine, but uh, it's also, it's uh, of course Mosul wine, but in another way. And we like it because it's great after five, six, seven years aging. You label by parcel inside the Marienburg. Yeah. Most of your holdings are in the Marienburg, most of your hectares. Mm -hmm. But then when you bottle the wines, you put the parcel name in addition to the Marienburg. Yeah. And what are those different parcels? It's uh, old vineyards names. And before the German wine law was made in 1971, we have these different vineyards names. We have the Pünderischer Marienburg Treppchen also, like the Erdner Treppchen. We have the Pünderischer Marienburg Fahrlei. We have the Pünderischer Marienburg Falkenlei and so on. There are a lot of different vineyards named in the Pünderische Marienburg. And so it's a sign for me also that the old growers knows what's the best, what's, where is the difference in these wines, of course. It's a matter of parcel and it's a matter of exposure and it's also a matter, as you explained, of the different slates. Yeah. And you bottle with capsules that indicate the different slate color yeah. by capsule color. Right. right. So I can tell in the market if it's a blue capsule from Clements Bush, that's the blue slate parcel. Blue slate, of course, yeah. And what about the different vine age in those parcels? Does it vary widely? Uh, it's very different, of course. The oldest wines are uh, 85 years old in a small part of the Farley section. The whole Farley is the youngest wines are 65 years old. The oldest are 85 years old. And the oldest wines are named Farley Terrassen. It's small terraces with the oldest wine. And so the, in these wines is more complexity. You have more ripeness also, so a higher quality level. And we like to show this, of course. And then we have the Rodenfahrt also. So we make recultivation. In this part, so we have wines which are also 80 and 85 years old, but we also replanted some parts of the Rodenfahrt with now with seven, eight years old wines. And these wines are going in the estate Riesling. Yeah. For the Chi-Chi's, our Grand Cruz, we need wines from older wines. And you do make a lot of GG wine. You make a lot of yeah, dry has, wine. It has a lot of a lot of good vineyards, of course. For us, it's really a great thing. Um, we have 80% of our vineyards in the steep vineyard sites of the Marienburg. And it's classificated for the Grand Cru. And yeah, for us, it's good. But normally, we also have not enough in the estate wrestling, of course. It's sold out after some months. And... Uh, that's not so good for the consumers, yeah. <laughs> but the focus often on the estate is on dry wines. Yeah, right. When, when did that start? Was that always true? No, it's also a thing of my father. My father has a lot of dry style wines in the 60s and 70s. And if I started in the winery, we also had some sweet wines, of course. In 1975, 76, it's great vintages for sweet wines. But when I started to make the organic wines in the 80s, we are nearly 100% with dry wines. 
and that's great. And we started again in 1999 because in this vintage we have a lot of noble rot, a lot of potratis. So we have to make also some noble sweet wines because if I like to make great dry wine, it's good to have healthy grapes. And so we put out the grapes with potratis, with noble rot, and we can choose this for Auslese, Bärenauslese, Trockenbärenauslese. And so we make these selections the last 15 years. And you mentioned moving towards organics in the 1980s. Yeah. That sounds fairly early to me. Yeah, it's very early. Nobody spoke about organic production in this time. And if I started in our winery, for me, it's normal to work with herbs in the vineyard. So I don't like to choose herbicides. And after some years, three, four years, we had a lot of compost in the vineyards because there was a lot of herbs. There are a lot of herbs. And so we don't have to use uh, fertilizers. It's also no problem. And in the beginning of the 80s, some friends of mine are also looking for other growers and they likes to learn about organic production. And so we make some trips to Alsace, to Switzerland, to look for other organic producers to learn. And then we started with the first group at the Mosel. It's named Oinos. Oinos is Greece, means wine. And we are the first organic producers at the Mosel and in whole Germany. And then in 1986 started the German Association of Organic Producers. It's named Bundesverband Ökologischer Weinbau. And since this time, we are classified, and it's 60 producers which started. So somewhat early in terms of Germany, somewhat early in terms of Europe. And, and I think so, yeah. For organic farming yeah. and really talking yeah. about it and yeah. exploring it. Yeah. Were there key moments that, besides just that you enjoyed to work with herbs, and were there key moments you said, boy, this is important to me to work with organics? I think the most important is to spray the preparates, uh, teas, to choose natural things to keep the grapes healthy. And I think that's the most important thing. And I think the combination is important to understand the nature, to understand which things are working together. And for us, it's a, also a very interesting time. It's a wonderful time. We learn a lot of new things, but the most important thing was these things are not you. They are old. Our grandfathers, the old people are looking for this. Uh, especially in this time, a lot of people spoke about biodynamics. It's a great thing. The people 100 years before works nearly in the same way, but they don't know it. For these people, it was normal to look for the moon, to look for the weather, And I think it's great now to work in the same way. Were there specific times in your own life, specific moments in your own life where you said, that's what I want to do, work organic? Were there realization moments in your mind where you said, something's wrong or something's right, I need to go this way? 
No, I started, if I'm young, if I'm in school, um, in the wine school, and it was have the discussion with my teacher. He told us all to choose herbicides, and I told him, no, we hasn't to choose it. We also can work uh, with the herbs, and um, it's also also great to understand the combination. Then it started, but if I'm married to Rita, you have the Rita, first, your wife. Yeah, we have the first child. Then there was a moment for us, it was very, very hard. We are not allowed to choose the normal water to cook the food for the children. There was a, so, some sort of notice. Yeah. They let you know that you weren't supposed to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And did they say why? There are a lot of pesticides, nitrates in the water, and it's not so good for the children, of course. Yeah, And so we get one case of water from the government in a week. And this was in the 80s? Yeah, 80, 81, 82, yeah. And you said that's not Yeah, cool. and that's <laughs> uh, the most important thing. And so we, we say we have to, to change, we have to think in another way. And I think that's the most important step in in my life as a wine grower. And eventually you got rid of not just herbicides and fungicides, but also fertilizers. Yeah. Because you said the compost was doing that for you. Yeah. And then eventually you moved to biodynamics. In this time, if we started to work organically, we also likes to work in the biodynamic way. My friends and I, we are reading the books from Rudolf Steiner. We likes to understand. It's not easy. We have a lot of discussions. And also we are in contact with Demeter in this time. But for Demeter, wine was a problem. Wine was alcohol. And they don't respect alcohol for the Demeter production. And so we doesn't get help. And so there was a small break in the biodynamic thinking. We use a lot of aspects of the biodynamics in the whole time. But then in 2004, we has a very hard vintage. We has a new fungi. It's a black rot. And we lost nearly 30, maybe 40% of the harvest through the black rot. And there was no chance to, to fight again this fungi. Not, we, we don't like to choose too much cover. And a lot of organic growers are thinking that's the end of the organic thinking. And, uh, but I heard about this black rot from some French producers, which had this problem in the beginning of the 90s. And so I have some discussions with them. And a lot of these producers changed to the biodynamic and say it works. It works very well. You also have to choose copper, but only a little bit. In, like in the homeopathy. The, the copper, copper yeah, sulfate. Yeah, but only only a very small quantity, and it works. We also use the preparates, of course, 
And the main important thing is also if you see the black rot on the leaves, on the grapes, you have to pick it out directly. And it works. Since this time, it works very well. And special in 2004, my oldest son, Florian, started to study winemaking. And he visited Geisenheim, the university for winemaking in Germany. And he meets a guy named Georg Meissner. He's a teacher for the biodynamic in Geisenheim. And great guy. And my son comes, told me about this, and say, I has a chance to make a biodynamic project. And I think I told him, you can make this project in our vineyards. So it's easy. It's the best basic to do it, to uh, bring the preparates to the vineyards. And so he started in 05. He learned a lot of biodynamic things in this time. And so it's easy for me. And it's great for the winery. And we have a wonderful feeling if we are looking for the wines. They uh, have a good vitality since this time. It's special since 2007. Yeah, and now it works very well. And a lot of customers told us it's also in the taste of our wines that you, you have this biodynamic thinking also in the wine. So what have the vintages been like for you since you moved over? In 2007, 2008, 2009, and forward, what were those vintages like for you in your vineyards? What was it like to work those harvests? I think in the harvest time, there has not the, the real difference. I think the, the difference is if you see the vines. They are not stressed if there is no rain, if it's very dry in summer, if you have a hot summer. If there is a lot of rain, the leaves are not growing very fast. And I think the main important thing is that the grapes are smaller and the skin of the berries are thicker than normal before. So you can wait for a longer time. And Riesling loves the long hanging time. So it's great to make a late harvest. And that's good for us. We have enough time to make the selections. And I think that's perfect. It's, it's also a thing of the biodynamic a little bit, but not only. I think it's the main thing of the vineyard's work. And are there vintages that have stood out for you in your own memory as particularly difficult or easy or memorable? I think we have great vintages the last 20 years, 25 years. There was no bad vintage. Um, maybe the baddest was the last vintage, 2013. It's very difficult in the harvest. But 2012 also was very difficult. Uh, not in the harvest time. It's more in the summertime, especially in the flowering. It was very cold. We had a lot of rain. There was no chance to pray our preparates. And so we, we lost a lot of grapes. We have only 50% of normal harvest. But the vintages before 11, 10, 9, it's great vintages. 
eight was typical for the Mosul region, not really great, but a very high minerality and a little bit lower in the alcohol, but that's typical for our region normally. And special for our winery, 07 was, I think, one of maybe our best vintage. 06, very special, a lot of noble sweet wines because there was a lot of botrytis. 05 was really great. 04, I told you, it's with a black rod. Also very difficult, but very high quality also. 03, very hot summer. Difficult for us in the harvest, of course, but also difficult for the consumers because a very special vintage with a very low acidity. Yeah, I can't <laughs> tell you the last 25, 30 years. It's very special. I think the lowest quality I has in 1984 and 1987. Mm. So it's really interesting because you have different kinds of slate, three different kinds of slate from the same producer, and yep. you make both dry and nobly sweet wines. Yeah. Do you see terroir of a vineyard articulate differently between dry and half-dry and sweet wines? Does the character of a vineyard change based on whether it's dry or whether it's not dry with the signatures of that vineyard? I think you has a terroir also in the semi-dry and also in the sweet wines. I think the main important thing is, if you spoke about terroir, that you also have to spoke about organic production normally. I think you can speak from terroir if you choose nothing, nothing else. If you don't use cultivated yeast, enzymes, farnings, and, and, and. Normally, Maybe it will be the best you don't use sulfur, but that's difficult. Especially in our area, I think it's very difficult. We make some experiments to work without sulfur, but it doesn't work very well. So I think we choose a little bit of sulfur, but not too much. And a little bit is very low, and that's enough to keep the wine for a very long time. But that's the only thing we give to the wine, nothing else. And when do you add that sulfur? Is that at bottling or during fermentation? Just, just for the bottling. When the grapes reach the winery, how yeah. are they handled in general? They are um, crushed a little bit, and then we make maceration. If there is a chance to make maceration, we have to look for the grapes before. And do not you, every vintage is good to make maceration. If does you, it depend on the botrytis? Or? Yeah, yeah, sure. If, if Also, if the temperature is too high in the harvest time, we has no chance to hold it all. <clears throat> then we make a very low pressing, only with 0.4 bar. It's very low, but for 8, maybe 12 hours. Oh, um, so that's quite long. Yeah, for a long time, yeah. And then we make some normal sedimentation, and then the wine comes into the barrel. Old oak barrels, big barrels, 1,000 liter barrels. These are typical for our area. So, spoke about Mosel fooder. And then sometimes the fermentation started after two weeks, sometimes after two months. And it needs, in our cellar, it needs a long time. 
normal is a fermentation time between six and, and eight months. Since there is a difference, sometimes we need 12 months. We also has in 05, we has a wine from the Farley, which needs 30 months. And we respect this. And now in 2013, we have no winter. It's warm in the winter time. So the cellar is not cold. So the fermentation goes a little bit faster. And it happens by itself. And we are looking, tasting the wines. And I think for us, winemaking means the wine makes itself. You said for that 05, that was a 30-month, 3-0. 30-month, 3-0, yeah. That's quite a long period yeah, of time. It, but it happens. Yeah. Sometimes it stopped, but there was no oxidation. And so we're thinking uh, maybe the fermentation comes again. For us, this wine was too sweet in the time before, and then the fermentation started again, stopped sometimes, and then it started again. And in the end, it's not really dry. It, it stopped with 10 grams of restical sugar. But it's great. If you open this bottle now, you have to take it in the decanter and you can drink this wine for two weeks, three weeks. It's no problem. It will be better every time. So when it's decided that it's done, do you change the temperature? Do you filter? What do you do to make sure no. it doesn't start again? No, normally... The wine is dry in this time and it doesn't start again in this time. Because there's no more sugar. Yeah. And we are looking for the wine, of course. The barrel must be full. That's important. And if the wine is clear, we have to taste it, of course. And then we have to say, okay, maybe the acidity is too high. Then we make a little bit of patronage to get more structure. Then the structure of the wine keeps more acidity, it's not so in front, and also there is more flowering in the nose, and its heath contact is better for the stabilization, for the natural stabilization of the wine. So you doesn't need a lot of sulfur, of course. And it's a lot of things which are important to get the good wine. It's a lot of small things. And what about malolactic fermentation? Does that it's, happen? It's the same. Sometimes it happens, yeah. If you have the optimal ripeness in the grapes, uh, the pH is very high. And if you have this long fermentation time, the fermentation comes also. It's, it's nature for us. And we respect this also. Sometimes it happens. And in the next vintage, it doesn't happen because pH is too low. The bacteria are in our barrels but it doesn't work if the pH is too low. Does it happen more often with certain parcels? Do certain parcels have different pH consistently of the vineyard? I think the pH is different because it's a different time in the harvest. If you are early with uh, special parcels, maybe the pH is lower. But if you are waiting for a longer time, in the end of the harvest, maybe the pH is very high. And what about approaching the wines? seems like they do differ from year to year. How should I be thinking about opening a Clemens Bush wine? When and how should I handle it when I open it? Should I pour it into a glass? Should I decant it? What should I do? For me, it's a shame to take the young wine in a decanter. 
normally it's a shame to drink a wine too young. <laughs> I think the best time for our wines is uh, after four or five years. If you have a GG, maybe after six or seven years, it's the best time. And then you can take it in the decanter, but very softly. And then you can wait four hours, six hours, and then it's, I think it's great. But young wine, if you have the state reason, it's good to drink it young also, but it's better after four years. It's, that's normal. Our wines needs time. And I think if you know about the bush wine, the bush wines are famous for a good aging time normally. And special for the dry style wines also. And that's for us, it's good. Sometimes our wines are so different with the aging potential. Sometimes you open 07 now and you are thinking it's, it's over. And after six months later, it's better than every time before. It goes like up Earth. and down, and, uh, but that's normal. It's normal uh, for biodynamic wines, for natural wines. And for me, that's a great thing to wait, to look. And sometimes if I open a bottle and I'm thinking, oh, this wine is over and it stays for some days in my freezer. And after some days, it's better and better. And for me, that's, is, that's a great thing. What about the Pinot Noir? You make a little bit of Pinot Noir in addition to most of the, mostly you make Riesling. I started late with the Pinot. There was big time in the middle of the 80s. Then a lot of Mosel growers started to make red wines. A lot of them makes the Dornfelder. It's a big grape, special for the quantity. And some other producers started also with Pinot Noir. But I'm, I'm looking in this time. I'm not sure. As for me, the most important grape is Riesling, of course. But some friends ask me why you have no Pinot. Uh, maybe you make a better Riesling than other producers. Maybe your Pinot is also better than the, the red one of the other producers. And so I started in a small parcel to make Pinot, and it works. It was a good Pinot. It's sold out before the wine was bottled. Sometimes customers like it, but it's different. It's different in the organic production to get healthy grapes, especially in the Pinot. And so we have bad harvests in the last years, especially in 06. It's terrible. And so we stopped to make red wine in 06. It's the last vintage with a very small production. But my oldest son, Florian, said, okay, you don't like to make Pinot Noir. Maybe this vineyard will be good for me sometimes. And uh, you have to keep the wines. They has a good age now. It's they are 18, 19 years old in this time. And uh, maybe it will be great after 15, 20 years, if it's 40 years old. And then we started to make champagne, Blanc de Noir, and it works also very good. The people likes it. We also, but it's only very small production. That wine and some other wines that you make, I've never seen. 
is there a different market for you for import versus export? And have those markets changed over the years? Has it gone from more of one to more of the other the market for your wines? I think that's that's normal. 15 years before, we had only some countries where we make the export. The most important market for us was Germany, of course. We had a lot of consumers which bought directly at the winery. And then it changed. I think a lot of people spoke about organic production, special of Riesling production. And so it's interesting also for other countries and especially with the States. I think we started in 2002 and I think it works very good. But also Asia is a good market for Riesling and special with Asian food, Riesling is great. If there is a little bit of sweetness in these wines, it's a wonderful combination. But also everywhere in Europe, we have a good market now. And for, we are very proud that we have a good market in France, in Italy, in Spain, where is a very big wine production. And also in these countries, a lot of people love German Riesling, maybe special hours. When people seek out your wines, do they consider you a German Riesling producer or do they consider you a German organic producer? I think at this time, it's more a German Riesling producer. That's the first. And then they say, but it's organic or biodynamic. And that's a special thing. Because it's still somewhat unusual inside yeah. of Germany to be yeah. biodynamic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How many people today are biodynamic in, in Germany? Um, from the, I think at this time it's 10, maybe 10. Some others are thinking about this, but the main important thing is that very important producers are in biodynamic. It's Wittmann, Christmann, Repolz, Peter Jakob Kühn. And yeah, that's the main important producers. In Germany, there, there are, oh, it's, it's difficult to explain. In France, there was an explosion of biodynamic producers. But I think it's the Germans likes to make it perfect. And they likes to learn before. And maybe that's a little bit the difference. So you, and you, you think, think they're taking longer to think about it? Yeah. And also, I think it's a, it's a problem of, of the climatics also. We have to spray often. And if I, my oldest son works in France now, he told me it's easy to make biodynamic wines in South France, in, in the Languedoc. If he, he knows the works at home, and if he works there, he say it's easy to make it. It's not so problems like uh, in our vineyards. And maybe that's a little difference. But a lot of German producers, especially in the VTP, knows about the combination between organic and quality. And I think they learned to understand that if you make higher quality, you have to work in the organic way and maybe in the biodynamic. It started more and more. If you spoke about Austrian wines, there was also explosion of biodynamic production. And what about climate change in the region? You've worked there for a number of years. What have you seen? I think there is a climate change, but we have to work with this. We have to respect this. And, and I think it's not really a problem. 
So, smaller problem is uh, the higher alcohol, if you have more ripeness in the grape sometimes. But if the alcohol is included and not in front of the wine, then it's for me, it's no problem. It's also a part to, to get a good aging time. And for me, that's very important. If there is 14 alcohol on the label, for me, it's important that it's not in the taste. That's the most important thing. But the, the climate change, maybe people spoke a lot about this, but uh, 50 years before, there are the same problems. If they have the 1959, it's a wonderful vintage, but it's very small. It's a very hot harvest. It's also not the easy vintage for the most producers. Also in 76, and nobody spoke about climate change in this time. It's also difficult. I, I think it's not so many important. We have also normal years like 08, 2010, 2012, and 13. So I don't like to speak about climate change. I think we have to respect this and we have to learn to work with this different climate, maybe. And how many producers in the Mosul are still maturing wines and fooder? Is that still a popular thing to do or is that less and less? I think a lot of producers stopped 30, 40 years before. But now a lot of producers started again. They uh, learned about wood, um, about barrels, and they like to choose it again. And so they have to buy new barrels, but that's not easy. It's the first five, six years, it's very difficult to work with new oak. And we have um, 70 fooder in our cellar, and the youngest barrel is 48 years old. And the oldest maybe 100 years and older. And this oak, these barrels are very good, and I hope I can keep it for a long time. That's for me is perfect. Yeah. When you speak with Florian, your son, who's now 25, what do you tell him is very important that he may not have learned at school? I think the most important thing is to get the sensibility for the wine, and yeah, of course, for the for the wines and for the nature outside to make the work in the optimal time. That's the most important thing, and the other things are happened, especially in the barn, in the cellar. I think it's important to, to make a good harvest, to make a good work in the time before the harvest, to make the good selections. And if you have only good grapes, for me, nothing can happen in the cellar. Everything goes in the right way. I think that's perfect, and uh, that's for me is the most important thing to tell my sons. Yeah, Clemens Bush, he's trying to find the right way with wines in the Mosul. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you very much for your time, Clemens Bush of the Clemens Bush Winery in Germany. All drink to that is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. 
The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.